God has a plan. Do y'all believe that? His church will prevail, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. If you have your Bibles, uh, kind of on that note, would you look with me in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Uh, The title is simply, Let's Go. Let's Go. Very simply, we're going to go with Jesus. And if we're going to go with Jesus, we have to proclaim the way he proclaimed. We have to proclaim in power the way Jesus had power. So we are sent in order to proclaim the way Jesus proclaimed and the power that Jesus has. That's really my three points this morning is we want to see how Jesus proclaimed and we want to see how Jesus proclaimed with power. And then we want to do the same. That's really the simple message. We are a church, I said, who loves Jesus. And every week I, I make this statement. I even notice that it's become where people repeat it with me at the end. And that'd be pretty awesome if you just wanted to repeat that with me. I know you're like grabbing your Bible, grabbing your lipstick, and your back purse is ready to roll. But we really are a church who wants to fall in love with Jesus more deeply all the time. The deeper Christian life is not the life that is more detailed with knowledge and information. It is a life that grows in depth with Christ. That's why I felt led last week to preach from John chapter 15. If we abide with Christ, we abound with fruit, right? The only way to abound in fruit is to abide in Christ. It's to stay close to Him. It is to cut away the clutter. It keeps us from intimacy and fellowship with Him on a regular basis. And no one in here, especially present company, can afford one moment not abiding in the vine. We make some pretty bad decisions when we don't abide in the vine. We say some pretty silly stuff. In fact, we do some sinful things when we don't abide So when we say we're a church who loves Jesus, what we mean is we have got to abide in Christ. We've got to encourage one another, provoke each other. You know what it means to provoke each other? It's a biblical word that means to almost aggravate each other. Like two kids in the backseat of a car who are too close to each other. On the positive side, provoke one another to good works, the Bible says. In order that we might grow more deeply in love with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus said, you're to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first and great commandment. We want to be committed to loving God. And if we're committed to loving God, then we'll love our neighbor as our... Will you love your neighbor as yourself if you love God? Even if they're not easy to love. Even if they're your enemy. You love your enemy. You love your neighbor. You love your family. And you love them... Because you love God. The more you love Jesus, the more you love others. The more you love others, the more you want them to know Jesus. Am I right? The more I love Jesus, the more I love people, the more I want them to know Jesus. Our Lord has called us to a mission that will be extreme, and it takes absolute commitment and sacrifice to complete. I'm going to ask you, this mission that Jesus has called us on, to be on with Him, is extreme. It is not for the faint of heart. It takes extreme commitment and extreme sacrifice. How many of you be willing to join him? Some years ago, a mail system was arranged so that 
Packages could be delivered from St. Joseph, Missouri, all the way to Sacramento, California, and back. That's a 2,000-mile span. That mail delivery system was known as the Pony Express. It might surprise you to find out that the Pony Express only existed from April 3rd, 1860 to November 18th, 1861, 17 short months. And the reason is because the telegraph was invented and that made the Pony Express obsolete. Your delivery system for then your messages was a lot cheaper because it would take $2.50 in 1860 per ounce to deliver mail. Lots of money for that long ago. In fact, 17 months was all it lasted. And if you sent something those 2,000 miles, if you were blessed, that mail might make it in 10 days at tops. I mean, this is before Amazon Prime by far. 10 days, if your rider was in good shape, if your rider wasn't attacked by Indians, if your rider's horses performed the way they should, maybe 10 days. That's how long it took the inaugural address from Lincoln to be taken from Sacramento back to St. Joseph, 10 days. If you are a rider in the Pony Express, you're only allowed to wear the clothes on your back. You're only allowed to take a little bit of Meal and corn, uh, excuse me, flour and cornmeal and bacon. You had a medical pack of turpentine, borax, and cream of tartar in case you were attacked by Indians, so that if you did survive, you'd have something to doctor your wounds. You would grab one horse, try to ride at least 100 miles a day, and hop on another horse to ride another 100 miles to take your mail. It was difficult, dangerous duty. It was very Hard for anyone to complete the task. One of the ads for the Pony Express went like this. Wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows. I mean, you want to be skinny because you don't want to wear out your horses. Not over the age of 18. Having stamina, you must be an expert rider and you must be willing to risk daily. One final footnote. Orphans preferred. Who's going to sign up for that? Would you believe there was such a long list of wanting riders that there many of them that signed up could never actually participate because the attractiveness was the sacrifice, the purpose. The reality is that there are a lot of Christians today that are enjoying this type of mission. Leveraging what they have for the gospel, sharing in the the work of God on the mission field and the joy, the joy is inexpressible. But there probably is a larger group of Christians today that are not enjoying the purpose that God has in store for them. Maybe that's you. You don't know God's purpose and maybe you've wrapped up with the world and you think maybe that the purpose of this world is to get, be successful, and to try to accomplish something at the end of your life that other people say their life counted for something. I can't quote John Piper right now, but I'll paraphrase when he said, are we really supposed to go to school, get a degree? Were we really purposed to have a great job so that we could retire, buy an RV, and collect seashells on the seashore? So that at the end of our life, we could offer to God our seashell collection? In his book on Don't Waste Your Life, he challenges Christians to do far more with what God has called us to do with 
do far more with our lives for what God has called us and purposed us to do. Jesus wanted his disciples to be on mission with him. He would send them out on mission for the rest of their lives so they could fulfill the purpose God had for them. But are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Christ? Have you been saved? Bought with the blood of Jesus? Made fit for the kingdom on a regular basis? One day you're, you're expecting to be in heaven with the Lord? If that is the case, you too have been called into this mission. The purpose for your life is much greater than collecting seashells. Amen. It's far more than what eyes can visibly see. I want, in fact, for you to see what Jesus does in this mission. Look with me in verse 35 of Matthew 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and doing what? Well, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He also was healing every disease, every affliction. I want you to see what Jesus was doing. Here Jesus is proclaiming and proclaiming a particular message. That message was the message of the kingdom, which was good news to people. The gospel does mean good news. The message of the kingdom was that the kingdom of God had come in Jesus Christ and that people that were far from God could be brought near to God through Jesus. They could repent of their sin, be redeemed and restored to God, receive a kingdom that would be eternal. And everyone who would receive this eternal kingdom would live forever with the eternal king in glory. Everyone outside of that kingdom, however, were in the kingdom of darkness, the domain of Satan. And if they remained in that domain, would spend eternity in hell. Jesus came to rescue us from this hell. In fact, we know that the gospel teaches from a zoomed out position that all of mankind has rebelled against God. We rebelled against God in the garden. You say, well, I wasn't in the garden. It was Adam that ate that fruit. It's Adam's fault. Well, had we been in the garden, we'd have eaten. We'd just done it a lot sooner and fell a lot harder. We've all chosen to sin. We've all lost our free will to do what is right. We are depraved at heart, not as depraved as we could be, but nonetheless depraved and dark, and we are full of sin. We needed rescue. We couldn't rescue ourselves. So God came himself in the form of Jesus Christ, the God-man, truly God, truly man, to rescue us from our sin and the direction of our soul, which is the darkness of hell. And our response has to be this. We have to believe. We have responsibility in this act that God has given in salvation, and that is to believe, that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we can be saved. So here's what Jesus does. He goes to all, all the cities and the villages, and he proclaims the gospel that you can be saved. If we're going to be on mission with God, we as well have to be able to articulate this gospel. If we're going to be on a mission with God, if we're going to say, yes, sign me up. God called me. It's in me. I love God. I want people to know Christ. I want them to know him because without him, their life is destined for eternity, separated from God in hell. I want, to, I want them to know them. Then the first thing you have to be able to do is to articulate the gospel. 
This is what's become so surprising to me over the years as a pastor. And I've sat in a lot of rooms with people that have shared with me their life and unfolded what's happening or what's happened to them. And, and maybe you might be shocked at what I've heard over the course of my ministry. I, I've, I've become less surprised by what I hear. Definitely not judgmental. But the one The one story that I just can't get over is this one, and it's a rampant, recurring story. People who have sat in gospel-preaching churches, who've sat in Sunday school classes and small groups and Bible studies, actually have gone on trips and missions. When I ask them, can you tell me the gospel, look at me as if they've never heard that question before. If you're saved and you've been saved for any amount of time at all, you should be able to articulate the gospel. And if you can't, shame on you. Well, you say, I'm not an evangelist. I remember walking into a cafeteria at my college and we had this prepaid plan like some of you. Do y'all remember this in college when you had to pay for your meals in advance? They could serve you whatever they wanted to, whether it was good or bad. And ours was bad. But I said, I'm going to go to the cafeteria anyway. I show up to the cafeteria, and there's this girl who'd never been in our college before. I'm like, wow, who's that? She's sitting with one of my friends. I sat on the other side of my friend. He never introduces me. I don't know why he doesn't introduce me, but I figured I'm going to introduce myself. And so I took initiative. That's what you do. If you, By the way, if you're single and you want to get married and you're a guy, that's what you do. You guys take some initiative. I stepped in and I said, hey, uh, I'm Scott. And I, I, I later found out a little bit about her. I'm like, I like this girl. So then I said, hey, you know, on Tuesday nights, a lot of us go to Pizza Inn. She's like, that sounds like fun, thinking that a lot of us are going. I really didn't trick her, but because I really meant a lot of people go to Pizza Inn. <laughs> and so when I showed up by myself, she's like, where's everybody else? <laughs> what are you talking about? We went on that date, and the rest is history, man. We got married in First Baptist Church's back slates, one of those churches that sits way up high on the hill. It has those steps on the front door that you got to, like, have oxygen halfway up to get up, you know? Just awesome, awesome. Somebody were to say to me, man, Scott, you and Leslie got married. Tell, tell me how you met and how you got married. And if I were to look at them and say, well, I'm not a marriage counselor. I don't know. You'd say, what in the world are you talking about? I just want to know how you met your wife, how you got married. Friend, people just need to hear how you met Jesus and how you entered into a relationship with him. And if you can't articulate that, it might be because you don't actually have a testimony. Because if you're saved, you have a testimony. Your testimony is powerful because it's yours. Just like you have a nose, you have a testimony. And every person... Needs to be able to articulate the gospel. And one of the ways we can articulate the gospel is with a very simple symbol. It is a prominent symbol in our society. It's the cross. It's why it's here. It's seen. It's because the cross communicates something. You know what the cross communicates? The cross communicates that God is love. Doesn't it? When you look at a cross, don't you think about the love of God? He gave Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you think about that when we think about the cross? Could you just share with somebody, you know what? The cross is such a special symbol, isn't it? It communicates that God loves, but it also communicates that God hates. How many of you know God 
God's love is perfect. But so is his hate. And he hates sin. He hates sin. He hates sin because of what sin accomplishes. You see, because of sin, man's been separated from God. And now we die, and we weren't made to die. Every time you go to the funeral and you hear someone say, hey, this is the normal circle of life in your spirit, not out loud, in your spirit say, no, it's not. God didn't make us to die. Sin has caused this. Sin's the villain. And we were willing accomplices. God hates sin. Because the ultimate consequence of sin is death and hell. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Hell. When we break God's eternal commandments against his eternal character, we will receive eternal damnation. God hates sin. But he loves you. You've sinned against God. You've rebelled against God. So have I. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. And yet God loved us anyway. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the cross. So if anyone ever t- tells, you, tells you that, that you can go to heaven apart from salvation, just look at the cross. Because the cross says, no, you can't. Because there is on the cross the Lord Jesus Christ, sinless in perfection, dying in our place as our substitute because he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Hey, there are a lot of things that people will substitute for the cross. But never forget, Jesus was the only substitute that God acknowledges. I have to then repent of my sin. If I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ, I have to realize, yes, Jesus did die. No doubt God He loves, he hates sin. Look at Jesus. He didn't rescue Jesus from the cross. He didn't make it easy for Jesus on the cross. He put all of his wrath on Jesus Christ. But we must, we must respond by being willing to turn from our sin. That's called repentance. And when we repent from our sin, away from our sin, our own righteousness that we hold on to, we can, we can receive the only offering that God accepts. And the only offering God accepts for our sin. This is fresh in my mind. Les and I were out to eat this week on a Thursday night and ran into a guy that was in church. His wife's in church. He's been on trips. It's a very good gospel-centered church. It's a good gospel-preaching church. He's, he's an older gentleman. Finally came around to where I just asked him, have you been saved? He'd been talking about church and ministry and involvement. And he looked at both Les and I and he said, well, I'm trying, doing the best I can, and I hope one day I'll make it. In other words, can I put that more succinctly? Everything I'm trying is what I'm offering to God in exchange for the debt of sin I owe. And God doesn't receive that offering. Let me go all the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain tried to bring an offering to God that was unacceptable. You cannot bring an unacceptable offering to God. The only offering God accepts for sin is His Son, Jesus Christ. And the cross communicates that clearly. So the cross communicates that Jesus is the only offering that God receives. Will you be saved? Will you receive this offering? Will you receive Jesus Christ? 
If I'm going to be on a mission with God, this is the message that I have to proclaim to my friends and family members and strangers that I meet everywhere. And that is, hey, you have to be saved. You, you have to receive this offer of God of salvation and receive his son, which is the only offering that God receives and will accept for our sin. Why? Because we are sinners and rebellion against God. God has offered salvation to you. This is how we have to preach the way Jesus did and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then secondly, not only are we to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, notice that Jesus demonstrates the power of the kingdom. I have to walk through this. Take your Bibles. Are you in Matthew 9? Say amen. Okay, look in chapter 8, verse 27. I'm just going to walk real quickly through this. Here, because this is rehearsal for a lot of you who know Matthew, been in this uh, passage before. For some of you, this is new territory. So just march with me through it pretty rapidly. To begin with, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. Matthew literally says it's being swamped. While they're fearing for their life, they think they're going to drown. Guess what Jesus is doing? You mean, he's getting a nap, which always reminds me to say this, I can go to sleep because he never does. He is trusting the Father just fine. The disciples wake him up. They're scared to death. Jesus stands up and he calms the sea, right? And then the disciples say in verse 27, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and sea obey him. Great question. Because this type of man has power over disaster. Verse 34, they come into a city. Jesus sees two demoniacs. They beg, will you, will you get away from us? Jesus talks to the demon-possessed man in this, um, in this location, casts out a legion of devils. They go into pigs. Those demons go into pigs, and those pigs destroy themselves. Picture of what demons want, the devil wants to do in our lives. All again, Revealing that Jesus has authority, not over disaster, but over demons. A paralytic is healed in verse 9 of chapter 9, or excuse me, in chapter 9. This man is laid out, can't walk. Jesus says, get up and walk, and now Jesus heals disease. And then, as Jesus is making his way doing ministry, a man by the name of Jairus comes. And he's in great despair because his daughter has died. Jesus says, I'll go with you. Jesus is going with this despairing man when a despairing woman grabs Jesus by the hem of his garment. Who's This woman's been in such despair for 12 years. She's, she's expended all of her resources trying to be healed of a disease with no avail. Jesus knows that someone's touched him. She's not just another face in the crowd, neither are you for Jesus. Sometimes the enemy might make you feel that way. Maybe you tell yourself those lies, but this one woman needs help. Jesus knows her despair. He has power over despair. What is it that you don't think that you'll ever overcome? In fact, you may never overcome in this life. There's a Lord who has power over your despair. He goes and interrupts the girl's funeral. This is pretty awesome. Raises this little girl, Jarius' daughter, back to life. He has power over death, y'all. Power over death. If he can break up a funeral and break out of a grave, then for us, death is not the end either. 
He has power or disabilities because there were two blind men who were calling out to Jesus, son of David, which meant they saw what no one else could see, not with physical eyes, but with spiritual vision that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah and he has mercy on them. He has power of disabilities. What disability do you have right now? Well, you say, well, if I just had or if I could just do this, but I'll never be able to. Can you just give to God and know this? He has power of your disability. There's a devil that had hit the mute button on a man's tongue who couldn't speak. And Jesus cast that devil out and loosened up the man's tongue. And then showing us that Jesus has authority over the devil. I wanted to chronicle all this. I, I know I didn't have much time. And the reason I wanted to chronicle this is to know, so you know this, that when we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, we're not just proclaiming it in our power, but in kingdom authority and power, both authority and power. And that kingdom authority and power is the kingdom authority of Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew 28. It's probably familiar. Like you've heard it at every missions conference you've ever been to. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. What kind of authority? All authority. What authority does Jesus have over everything, over every enemy, over every disease, disability, every even death? Are you telling me, preacher? I can go speak to dead people and they can raise again. I am. Because everyone that's lost in Christ is dead in their trespasses and in sin. And if you can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom, dead people can actually live and blind people can see and lame people can walk. And let me tell you something. We are on this type of mission. Don't you want to be on mission with God and watch God transform lives from our simple obedience? That's not enough amen, so I'm going to keep preaching. Jesus says this. Look, look at me in verse 35 of Matthew 9. As Jesus is with his disciples, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He saw the crowds. What did Jesus see? He saw that there were 200 cities. We're told that the population in this area where Jesus is ministering is about maybe 2 million people. Lots of people. How many were in the crowds? We don't know, but the number in, uh, indicates that there's just a lot of people. But what does Jesus see? It's not just how many people they are, but what kind of state they're in. He said they were people that were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed. Harassed by what? Well, already we see it's circumstances they're in. And all types of circumstances. Some harassed by their difficulties. Some by what they thought were their strengths. Some harassed by their circumstances that took them down. Some by circumstances they thought were taking them up. In other words, these people were being harassed by their own sinfulness. Whether it was putting them into despair or making them feel prideful. So prideful that they would drag God's name down to the depths of hell and say, oh, this Jesus actually cast out devils by the devil. No wonder Jesus had compassion on this crowd. We were in Fernandina Beach this weekend. Nassau County. I can remember going to Nassau County, Fernandina Beach, when there was nothing there. Do y'all, any of y'all grew up in Florida remember that? As a kid, I used to hate Fernandina Beach. There was nothing there. 
anymore. But I'm going to tell you, when I drive downtown to Fernandina Beach, and I see at Fernandina Beach what we saw last year at this exact same time in Hollywood, California, that there's a gay pride parade. Doesn't your heart break? That we would actually shake our fist in the face of God and celebrate the one sin that God hates, pride, and the abomination of homosexuality. Churches, they're not brokenhearted over it anymore. We're trying to figure out how we can accept people that have chosen to rebel against God instead of calling people to repentance. I can barely preach about homosexuality too. I don't have some young person come to me and say, I don't know why you always have to throw out this red meat to your church or why do you have to talk about this subject because there are so many other sins. And I wonder, one, have you not heard me preach about every other sin as we come to it in the text? And two, it's not that we're bringing this up. It's being flaunted in our face regularly and our kids are being misled and indoctrinated by the doctrines of the demons that are trying to steal away their soul and make them think that someone actually could be born with the same sex attraction. And they're not born that way. The Bible, if you believe it, says that's an unnatural, which means not natural, not born with attraction. It's born, Romans 1, out of pride. Now you have churches, mainline evangelical preachers, God help their souls. They're trying to make the church accept sin. It is unloving. It is unkind. It's not loving to tell the truth. Someone says, well, I just tell the truth and that's love. No. We're to speak the truth in love. We're to speak the truth in love. Do you see people? God give me eyes to see the crowd the way you see them. Jesus had compassion because they were harassed. They were receiving all types of wrong information, wrong doctrines, wrong teachings, whether it was the sin that they were wrapped up in, or the success. They were helpless too. Like, there was no one to help them. They're like sheep without a shepherd, no direction, no purpose, wandering around like the children of Israel in the desert for 40 years, not going to the promised land, just walking. That's the zombie land we live in. That's a zombie land we live in, isn't it? Can, can you just, with me for a minute, just for a minute, could you just look at 17 and Blanding and see the zombies going to work? And I'm not being judgmental. We, we were all lost in our trespasses and sin and thought that all life had to offer was what we could buy, what we could get, what we could take. You were made for far more than that. Jesus can see all of these people with no purpose. No purpose. They think they have purpose. They're putting their purpose in every, every vacuum in the world, sucking life out of it. But they're not just harassed and helpless, they're hellbound. Look at the harvest. 
he says. See it? Look at the harvest. Anytime you see harvest mentioned in this way, it's indicative of judgment. We just went through the book of Revelation. There's a harvest coming. A harvest of what? Lost souls. Every time you see harvest, know that these are those who are hellbound. What does Jesus say? He said, would you look? He's telling us today, just look. And why in the world, guys, would y'all have a thousand kids at vacation Bible school? Just look. As hard as we're working, the devil's working just as hard to get the souls of our children. Why in the world would you try to go after dads and say, dads, I want you to follow in love with Jesus and lead your family. Why would you do that? Just look. Just look. Why in the world would you start another campus? Don't we have enough going on already? Aren't you scared? Doesn't that make you a little bit trepidatious? Isn't that a lot of energy that's going to be expended? Just look. Just look. There are souls around us who think they're on their way to heaven because they have some offering to give to God, but truly are hell-bound, helpless, and harassed. And the only hope is to do what? First, go. No, no, no. Pray. Before you go, you got to be ready to go. But you better not wait around to get ready. Because some people have been waiting around to get ready for years and are molding. While people are going to hell, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Why do we pray the Lord of the harvest? Because God can do what we cannot do and we need his help. We don't have the strategies. We don't have the schemes. We don't have the systems to reach this lost world. We can read every book on evangelism in the incredible library online. We can go to every conference. We can get together and talk about how we're going to reach people without Christ. But apart from the power of the kingdom, we can't proclaim it in the way that Jesus did. Jesus proclaimed it. He proclaimed it clearly, but he proclaimed the gospel with power. He was able to overcome all of his enemies and afflictions, and with power he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our lives ought to be full of the gospel so that our lives are powerful enough to proclaim, or right enough to proclaim, so that when people observe us, they will see that's somebody who came out of the grave. They used to drink every weekend, and they're sober now. They used to cuss like a sailor, and you can't hear anything but blessings come out of their life now. People get around and gossip and they leave the room. They don't say things online that are ungodly and unkind and ungracious. They're not like everybody else. There's something weird about them. Yeah, we were dead and now we're alive. We love Jesus and we want others to know him. Our lives have to back up this message, y'all. And if you're here saying, yeah, that's me. I just believe in living out the gospel so people can get saved. You need to get right with God. If you're with Jesus, you cannot help but speak and proclaim those things which you've seen and heard. Well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a marriage counselor. Number three. Jesus and his disciples proclaimed the kingdom. And what was at hand? I want you to just look with me, if you will, quickly. Verse 1 of 10, and we're not going to go very far here, but here's what Jesus did. He sent his disciples out. And if I could, I wish I could take you through this, because I know I've been swimming in the 
scriptures and part of preaching that's hard. It's like you, you, you study so much in the scriptures and you eat so much of it, but you meditate on it, right? You sleep and you dream about it and you wake up and you write stuff down that, that you, you just thought about and you just like you're, and then you come on Sunday and you're trying to boil it all down. But let me just tell you what Jesus does. He says, says, you can go home and you can check me. You better check me. He says to the disciples, you go out. He calls the 12 together. He sends all 12 of them out. By the way, he doesn't send 2.4 out. What is 2.4? That's eight. That's 20% of the eight. 80% would be um, the rest and just 20% go do the work because, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. No. All 12, you're going. It wasn't just 12, there were others. And he sent them out two by two, so there's accountability. You go out and you're going to go to the lost sheep of Israel, not to Samaria, not to the Gentiles. What? They're not supposed to go to the Gentiles? No, because the work of God at this time, in its purpose, in history, was for Israel to carry out the Great Commission. Go to Israel, teach them so they can go and take the gospel. They failed in the mission. And you know what God does? He doesn't fail. So if we don't reach Clay County... God will. But I want to be a co-laborer. Do y'all? Is God going to reach the Dakotas? Amen. Does he need y'all? Or did he call y'all? Come on. Don't you want to be called by God? He doesn't need us, but he called us? Come on. So here it is that they're going out and sharing the gospel. And then they have this incredible power over disease, death, leprosy, um, demonized people, and they're going to preach the gospel. And don't pay, don't charge anything because I'm going to take care of you. But you pray and you go and every house you go to, you greet it in verse 12. Look at verse 12, greet it. The word greet is the word shalom. It means to say, hey, God's will be done here. And if the people receive God's will in their home, you're going to be blessed by it. If they reject God's will in their home, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, Jesus said. Remember that. Our greeting as we go out and sharing Jesus is not, hey, how you doing? Hope everything's well. Won't you just kind of come to church, get your life better? Our greeting is, do you want the will of God done in your life? And then if you do, let's proclaim the gospel so that you can trust Jesus as your Lord as well. If they reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you. So Jesus says, this is... This is a message that you're going to go on, and it's not for the weak at heart. Verse 16, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep in the midst of wolves. My, my son, Graham, unless I have a middle son who's up in North Carolina at a special ops school, and we were there at that base looking at all the special ops banners and special ops um, mottos. And I, I never saw anything like that. I never saw a special ops group that had a, a lamb as their, as their, as their, mod, as their what do you call that thing? Mascot, lamb. Can you imagine that? We're, we're the lambs and we're coming to kill you. I saw a lot of eagles and snakes and dragon looking stuff and skulls and skeletons and weird looking stuff. So when Jesus says, hey, y'all are sheep, think about that. We're going out as sheep. We're not the Delta Force. We're just sheep. Go on to other lost sheep. Say, hey, we know where the shepherd is. And he says, this is kind of interesting. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, then be wise as serpents. Since we're going out among wolves, we better be wise. There's a lot of ways to take this, but the word there is shrewd. 
Have you ever known anybody to be shrewd? You know, a shrewd business person, and they're really shrewd in their business, and you admire them because they can take a little bit and take that little bit, invest it, and make a lot. They're really shrewd. They live on the margin, kind of a thin razor line of of doing work and business, and they just really are good at it. That's kind of the idea. Be shrewd. Be thoughtful. You're going out among wolves. Being shrewd means to think about how you leverage what you have for the gospel, for preaching the gospel, claiming the gospel, and living out the gospel. Being shrewd is not being rude. Being shrewd and being innocent as doves means that we go out with our lives backing up what we're saying, that our talk matches our walk and our walk matches our talk. Being shrewd means I'm thinking about how today am I going to leverage what I have for the kingdom's sake. I'm to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim it in power. It's simple. It's, it's not that hard. It may be that you say, well, I have a lot of resources I can give, but it might be this. Every one of us has time. We have three really banks of resources, our time, our money, and our energy. Some of you say, well, I got plenty of money and I can leverage that for the kingdom. Great. I have a little bit of money. I can leverage for the kingdom. Great. But don't forget about your time. And there's just some days where I want to, I want to share the gospel and I know I'm coming to church and I'm coming to work with staff and uh, most everybody here saved. I think all of them are. And I, you know, I do, I, I have to, if I'm going to leverage my time for the gospel's sake, it means I'm going to have to leave the house a little bit early and I'm going to have to go get a cup of coffee somewhere where I don't really want to pay $3 for black water. But I know if I do that, I'm going to run into somebody probably and I'm going to be able maybe to have a gospel conversation. I might go to the gym, and I'm not really worried about how many reps I get in, but how many conversations I get in. And so some of y'all make fun of me. You're like, you come here and talk more, and you work out. And sometimes that's not always spiritual talk, so don't, take, don't get me wrong that I'm some spiritual super giant. I'm not. I'm just saying that if I know, if I'm going to leverage my time for the gospel's sake, that I've got to make time. I can't be rushing from here to there. I can't be last minute to this place or that place. I've got to sometimes just leave and go somewhere to share the gospel, to be intentional about it, and then to be ready when I'm on the plane or when I'm with, with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. I have to be intentional about going to those places. And don't you? Don't we all? I mean, this is a discipline in our Christian life that doesn't just happen passively. We don't just passively read our Bible. Oh, did you read your Bible? Yeah, I don't really remember. I just kind of, it opened up and I just started reading it. No, you make making a definite intention that I'm going to get up and read God's word, study it, and pay attention. If I drift off, I'm going to go back and read it again because my mind can wonder. It's a discipline. So is, so is being on mission with God and leveraging what we have as shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. So we're to be that way. Now, if we're that way, we're going to be like Christ. What did Christ do? Christ proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed it power. If we're like Christ, then you need to have these expectations. Christ was not always treated right. And he wasn't always treated with love. In fact, Jesus said, your brothers are going to hate you. You're going to be delivered up even to courts. They're going to whip you. They're going to beat you. Here's the other thing. If you're going to be with Jesus on mission, did I tell you it was dangerous and takes extreme commitment and sacrifice? Because when you do this, don't expect there always to be happy people hearing what you have to say. Sometimes people are going to be very angry. They're going to have something to say to you, about you. They're going to do everything they can to undermine the message of the gospel again. Why? Because it's not the you It's that they hate. It's God they hate. You're just... You're just the one with skin on. This is why we need to be very clear that the gospel is not something that we can nuance and make 
tolerable, and tasteful. The gospel is in your face, and the gospel is offensive. Pretty clear that we're not to be offensive with our lifestyle, but the gospel is always offensive. It always confronts people in their own self-righteousness. It confronts them in what they're holding on to that's going to take them to hell. They think it's going to take them to heaven. It's correcting. It is saying, yes, we do have an object authority. It is the word of God. We believe it with all of our heart. And thus says the Lord. This is what the Bible says. And no matter what any preacher says today or any other Christian says today, we still believe the Bible is God's word for everybody, wherever they live, whether they're a Muslim or a Hindu or a Sikh or they're a communist or they're whatever party, whatever religion doesn't matter god's word is god's word for all people at all times that's why sometimes we're just not going to be liked sometimes churches try to make the gospel cool but jesus said you want to come after me ain't cool in fact it's cruel you've got to deny yourself take up your cross and die the gospel is not something that we need to dress up To make it cool. It's just something we have to break down and make clear. You follow Christ, it's going to cost you. How much? Everything. All your time, all your energy, all your money. But it's the pearl of great price. It's worth selling everything that you have to buy, to have. But you don't have to buy it. You can receive it by faith. This is the message of the gospel. Will you join God on this mission? Will you see others the way Christ sees them? Will you? Today we start looking at people differently. Will you see people as souls? Will you pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers in the field? And will you go on mission with God? I think the greatest obstacle to lost people coming to Christ. What is it? Oh, I know what it is. It's Baptist in our name. If we could just take Baptist out of our name, Pastor. If we were Hibernia Church. Oh, I know what it is. It's the music. You get too carried away, preacher. If you wouldn't get so carried away, man, my friend, I'd bring more friends. The greatest obstacle for unbelievers not believing the gospel is that they've never heard the gospel. It's our silence. If we'll share the gospel in power, people will respond. They will respond yes to Jesus or no to Jesus, but the more we share, the more people will be saved. And I love what John Bassanio said years ago. We don't always get the ones we go after. But if we go after the ones we don't get, sometimes we get the ones we don't go after. It'll shock you. If you'll discipline yourself to be on mission with God and share the gospel, how many people God will put in your path that are ready to be saved, to be discipled, to be disciples that make disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us this morning to study this text. God, thank you that, God, we have looked at how you sent out your disciples, but we are your disciples today. May we be your disciples, not only in name, but in power, in proclamation, in mission. God, may we live on purpose, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to have our invitation. 
invitation is pretty simple. I'm asking the church today to be the church, to be the people of God, on mission with God, to love people because we love God. And since we love people and love God, we want others to know Him. So what are we doing? Where are you serving? Where are you serving in the body? We've got like, I don't know, how many kids come to vacation Bible school? And you know what we need? We need just people that say, I'll tell little, little children about Jesus. The devil's out there telling them all kind of lies. We'll tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. We just need some folks to step into BSGs and lead. Say, you mean I'll teach and lead and we'll organize our group to reach people. And make disciples. Encourage and love and help people along in their Christian life. It's not any more complicated than that. You don't have to have a seminary degree to do that. You just have to be able to love God, believe His Word, and help others to do the same. You can do that, can't you? Some of you can. I'm, I'm talking to preachers in here. There's people, there's people in here. You look at me preaching, you're like, if he can do it, I can do it. Well, come on! You probably can do it better than me. But it's the same gospel message. We'll preach the same truth. What are you waiting on? Well, once I get some things done, some things accomplished, you know, somebody send that to Jesus. Like once I bury my father, once I get get some things taken care of. Wait a minute, right about now. God's calling some of you. God's calling some couples to the mission field. I know it. I just know it. Y'all been talking about you. It stirs you up. You get misty out every time we talk about missions. Every time we have a global pack celebration, you're like drawn. You want to go so bad. Step out. Don't fear. I didn't read all of Matthew 10, but he knows every hair on your head. And he knows the sparrow that falls from the sky. And if he takes care of the birds, he'll take care of you. That's why he said, don't take anything for your journey. Because all of us live breath by breath, not just day by day. Every breath is a borrowed breath from God. I don't breathe unless he gives me breath. And you won't either. And you won't live if he doesn't give you. And you will make it because he called you. I'm just asking Christians, would you be on mission with God? There's some of you here not even saved. You're like, this kingdom of God stuff, wonderful. I'm, on the, I'm an outsider, though. We were all outsiders. We were all on the outside looking in. And the only way we got in is through the narrow gate, on the narrow way, who is Jesus Christ. You can be saved today. Would you come and give your life to Christ? Be obedient to God. You come right now. Be obedient to God. Get on your face before God. Put your yes on the altar before God. Don't know what your plans are. Put your plans. Put your plans. No, I got plans, Pastor. I'm going to retire, buy an RV, and collect seashells. I'm going to tell you something. God's plans are so great for us. Someone said it this way. It would be exactly what we choose if we had all the facts. I'd rather just say, God, here's my life. Do with it what you want. Because that, my friend, is really living.